perseverance through disappointment and setback what welcome to the joyous expansion podcast i'm your host brett dupree scouring the globe to bring you stories of courage passion and resilience if i could sum up this podcast into one word i would use empathy now let's get inspired Welcome to the Joyce Expansion Podcast. I am your host once again, Brett Dupree, here to drop some spiritual knowledge on you. Today I talked to a dancer who, yeah, this is the first dancer that I've interviewed, the first professional dancer I've ever talked to. So honestly, that was fun. It's always fun talking to some, I mean, most of my interviews are with coaches or other people in the personal development field. So talking to someone outside of that, I have to admit, is pretty fun. But the first thing I want to do is talk about what's going on in my life. Because if I can't expect, if I can't be vulnerable myself, how can I expect my guests to be vulnerable? It's funny how many times I flub that up when I do this recording. It is almost like I don't want to be vulnerable. Which kind of is the case if i think about it but that's not what i really want to talk about today that flaw of mine i want to talk about a new flaw something that else has been coming up for me in the last just over a week i would say a desire to remain more in the present i started remeditating last week which is of course what i call when i start up my meditation again i think i went three days no i think no two days last week you will see how far along I get this week, but I do plan on doing it more and building that muscle. It's hard for me to meditate now. I am so in my head. When I start meditating, I try to do my mantra, be loved, be joy, be awesome. But then I started thinking about everything that's going on in this world and how I can, you know, fix it with me complaining in my head and telling everyone what we need to do, which of course is a waste of my time. Because I am not in the position to do those things. I'm not the President of the United States. Nor would I want to be. Because why would any reasonable person want to be President of the United States? In fact, one of the things that should disqualify people from becoming President is the desire to become President. They should be kicking and screaming for that job. Kicking and screaming so they don't have to take that job. Every debate should be... I shouldn't be president for these reasons, even though I am probably, I'm qualified for these reasons, but this is why this guy should be qualified, because honestly, this job sucks, and other than having a power trip and an ego trip and all those fun things, and to be one of the best people freaking ever, according to the way we deal with life, it's a thankless job that I'm going to have to make decisions that kill children. And why, oh why, you know how many presidents... That we've had in the United States that had made a decision that didn't kill children? Probably William Harry Henderson because he died before he was able to make those decisions. And his stupid decision to not wear a raincoat or something like that when it rained and he got pneumonia and died showed that he shouldn't have been president anyway. But this is not a rail against presidents because only an egomaniac would want that job. This is more of me being aligned with myself, living in alignment, and wanting to do that more. One thing the global pandemic has really shown me is the fact that I am very good at not living in alignment. I get out of alignment a lot, honestly. And I don't feel like I've been in alignment alignment since I got laid off in 2015, I believe, yeah, 2015, like five years ago. It's just a constant kind of anxiety. Even though I am higher 
in a way, in my personal growth than I was before that, than during that time, in some ways, wiser and higher vibration, if you will. I'm not saying I was 100% back, but I'm not in alignment. I'm still living in anxiety. And one thing about living in anxiety is this looking at things that you cannot control and wanting to control them. Like social anxiety is, mine was... Imagine everyone looking at me all the time, judging me, and everything I am doing, they think I am doing it wrong. When I'm doing that, I'm controlling the people around me. I am almost trying to force my will of them looking at me, and then forcing what they decide of me, and force the fact that I'm doing it wrong. I'm in all of their heads, all of their business. And the reality is, the thing that actually helped me most with my social anxiety is the realization that most people don't give a crap about me, let alone to judge me all the time. That's just too much energy. I don't. I know I don't have the energy to judge everybody all the time about everything they do. That's exhausting, and no one wants to live that way. And so working on being more aligned with my body, with meditation, I mean, two things really spurred this on. Number one was my Lightworker Toastmasters on Tuesday, where they talked about this theme. And the theme I did last year, we're doing a table topics. And what it means to me now, I have no idea what I did it just under a year ago. My theme was letting go. And I believe it was something along the lines of letting go of responsibility I felt for the Lightworker Toastmasters because I was handing over presidency to another person and letting go a lot of the leadership roles that I had to do because for this club to survive, people had to feel ownership and they can't feel ownership if I want to do everything. But letting go for me now, especially when it comes to lightworkers, is looking at life and recognizing the fact that my suffering is belief that things should be different than what they are. Basically, suffering, which is just one way of looking suffering, and I believe this comes mostly from Byron Katie or the Buddha, which I learned through Deepak Chopra, is suffering is looking at the world and thinking that it should be different than it is. So looking at my life and thinking it should be different than it is, which, of course, I'm freaking lonely right now. I'm stuck in my house all day because I'm taking this global pandemic seriously. I leave once, twice a week. I'm sick of being... Luckily, I'm in a new apartment because I'm being sick of a new apartment. I moved in around February. So it's still a new apartment for me to get sick of, but I'm sick of being here. I miss people. But... Thinking that should be different is what's causing my suffering. And when I'm not in alignment, I'm thinking more of what I'm missing in life and not being as in gratitude for what I have. I mean, I have a job that allows me to work at home and I don't have that huge stress that a lot of people are having right now, which is not being able to pay rent and all that fun things that, you know, feeding myself and things like that. That's not an issue for me. So I need, no, I don't need to, but I can look at how life, I believe life should be, or I can look at what it is now and then work on improving it of the way I do on the things I can control because you can't control people. And other thing that happened is I cut my finger. James Arthur Ray says, I believe I talked about this last year, last week I did. James Arthur Ray said, if you don't pay attention, you pay in pain. And every time I hurt myself, I think to myself, because every time I do that, I was thinking of something else. I was slicing a lemon. It was a very easy thing to do. There's no reason for me even to be close to my finger and yet sliced it open. So this got me thinking about how I am in my head, how I need to be more 
in my body, how I need to be more in my heart, how I need to be more in my soul, and to embrace that part of me and be into alignment. So start meditating again, working on my health. I, I did this Fanstick app, which I'm working on doing 18 6 fasting 18 hours a day with a six hour eating window and to eating healthy foods when i when i eat not eating like you know a bunch of junk food eating quality meats eating vegetables eating whole foods and working on my budget and being in my body as i look at my budget instead of thinking of what my how much money i should have actually look at how much money i have and keep track of it and make the goals my goal was to be out of this one credit card debt right now, but putting two to $2,300 on Grubhub and maybe even $2,600 to $3,000 if I add DoorDash before that just went away and it just stopped working for me. However, just that made it so it didn't happen. Luckily, both my weight and my credit cards are roughly the same as before this started but being more in alignment with who i am and being in my body and accepting the reality of my cash flow of everything and pushing forward is the decision that i need to try to make that i am trying to make in fact i start writing my book again i was going to be kind of tame and live my ideal self by writing my ideal book of who i am the bible of the church of awesome and so i started that up again today and i want to be writing in that when i'm home every 15 minutes every 15 minutes at least 15 minutes my question to you is are you in your body are you in today are you in this present moment are you living your present moment are you accepting the reality of your current situation believing that it should be different is suffering there's nothing wrong with wanting it to be different. I'm not saying you shouldn't want it to be different, but believing it should be different because reality is it's exactly how it should be by proof that it is. You can always strive to improve your current situation, but once you let go of the belief that it should be different, your decisions got you here, your outside circumstances got you here, and depending on which one, both matter. Sometimes... There's a global pandemic and you get laid off and there's nothing you can do about that. Sometimes, though, you do make those decisions that cause you to be in this situation and believing that it should have made a different situation, believing that there isn't or shouldn't be a global pandemic going on right now is going to cause you nothing but suffering. So embrace your reality. And then move to change it from where you are today. Because your decisions you make today will be creating your future. And your future self will. Thank you. Speaking of a future self that's worth thinking, I have an interview with Kaya Alexander Franklin. A native of Sacramento, California, Kaya Alexandra is a performing artist, choreographer, and instructor who traveled around the world performing. After losing her mother, graduating from college, and transitioning to audition for her dream concert dance company, all within the same two weeks, she jump-started a professional journey that few imagined was possible. A believer in divine timing, perseverance, and the power of positivity, Kaya has overcome her barriers in her personal and professional life, wearing her scars as skin-deep trophies. And now here is my interview with Kaya Alexandra Franklin. Hello, Kaya, and welcome to my podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you give the listeners a little explanation of who you are? Yes, my name is Kaya. I'm originally from Sacramento, California. 
I currently live in Dallas. I am a performing artist. I've danced in a modern dance company here in Dallas. I'm a commercial actress. I'm also a fitness instructor for group fitness and cycling and Pilates. I do a little bit of everything and I love all of that what I do. So did you always like dance growing up? Actually, I started dancing pretty late, aside from in-home concerts or performances that my best friend and I would put on in the living room to Britney Spears or NSYNC or 3LW. I didn't have any formal training or exposure to dance until my junior year of high school. And I started dancing on the dance team and we did a lot of hip hop, very basic technical movement, but I loved what I was learning and I loved being able to perform it in front of my peers. So I fell in love with the outlet and carried it into the career choice. I ended up majoring in dance in college. I transitioned into a professional dance career right after school and I've been here since. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I hear the world of dance Like, I know nothing about it other than watching So You Think You Can Dance. Of course, of course. (laughs) So it's very competitive. Definitely. I think a lot of people don't realize how many sectors of the dance world there are. What you see on So You Think You Can Dance is a lot of commercial dance. A lot of those dancers come from backgrounds in gymnastics or competition. They all cross and overlap in different ways, but there's also the concert world of dance where you see a lot of trained ballet, modern and contemporary dancers joining companies like your regular nine to five job. They go into the studio every single day and usually companies only have spots depending on the size of the company. The company I worked for typically had a professional company of 12 and it's a nationally, internationally known company. So it's pretty competitive to get a spot, but the people that they end up hiring are usually the perfect fit for the company. So dance is kind of a different major. And I, so were your, was your family really into your idea of going into dance instead of, I don't know, becoming a lawyer or a doctor? Yes, both of my parents were very supportive. My mom, you know, was my best friend growing up and she was supportive of everything that I showed a passion for. I was interested in a lot of things and I had a lot of friends that did different stuff. Anything that I demonstrated passion and interest enough interest to actually put in work or come forward and ask her, you know, mom, can I do this? Can I take this class? Can I go to this audition? She was super supportive. And when I fell in love with my, what is my alma mater, Howard University in Washington, D.C., I was literally on the other side of the country. It was expensive. And of all things, I wanted to study dance because I had fell in love with it towards the end of high school. And my mom, she was supportive and said, all right, let's start working on these scholarship applications. From both sides of my family, they've always supported me in being consistent with what I was interested in. So they've had faith in me. (laughs) What are some of the biggest barriers in going through a dance career? Not being the version of yourself that you think you're supposed to be for maybe what is your dream job. As you can imagine, the Dancers, especially in the professional world, there's always this conversation, internal and external conversation of body consciousness. While some companies may impose that a little bit more than others, there's always the factor of being in front of a mirror all day long and judging yourself in order to get better. But the judgment definitely takes a toll on you mentally. 
you know, working on technique and flexibility and range and how your body can help you get across a message that's burning inside of you, whether it's coming from your own heart or a choreographer is giving you a task to tell a story. You know, you only get one body and it's a huge task to transform every single time you're cast in a ballet or a piece or a production when you literally only have that one vessel. And it's never, it seems like it's never quite where you want it to be, <laughs> but that's, that's what makes the work interesting. Hmm. Seems like you could go down like a shame spiral doing that. Most definitely. I've never necessarily had any moment of doubt to the degree of, no, I can't do this. I'm not for this. But what I think is even worse is the spiral down of, I'm never going to be enough. I can be here. I'm present. I'm showing up and I'm working hard, but all of my hard work might not be enough. My voice might not be enough for what the choreographer is demanding. My body might not be enough with the aesthetic that they want to portray. I think that's definitely more dangerous than the more commonly circulated doubt of, I just can't do this. It's scarier to know that you can do it, but you won't be enough. Was there an instance in your life where you've had that feeling and then you got over it? Yes, there's been several. <laughs> I think it might have been my first season in the company that I danced for. I had a choreographer come in and they were setting a contemporary ballet on the company. As you know, there were six men and six women. We were all dancing in the piece. I think one dancer was out because she was injured, but for the most part, we were all working. This choreographer, I was in love with the way he moved. I was in love with the way he explained things, the way he went about portraying the aesthetic and the feeling and the, the look. He'd give these super intricate details and stories of, you know, this should feel like water cascading down the hill and then it crashes into, you know, dry soil and then it gets soaked up. That's how this should feel. And you should turn like he was so descriptive and it was easy to get wrapped up in him. So he was great to work with. And it was a ballet that had three sections and the middle section, the second section was a duet. And in the first day of working with the choreographer, he was pairing different people up just to see how people move together. And I got paired with one of the senior company members and he continued to work with us and he was creating choreography. He was changing choreography. He was experimenting and myself and this senior company member who, mind you, I'd been watching perform for years before I got into the company, working with both of them at the same time. It was hard, but it was dream come true. I was so excited to be present and be doing the work. And Monday went by and we layered on more. And Tuesday went by, we learned more. And Wednesday, we completed the ballet. We started cleaning it up. Thursday, everyone really got started getting into their characters and really dancing it full out and feeling all of the nooks and crannies and just exploring the work that we had. And Friday, the last day is always the showing. So we'll have people from the marketing department come in. Sometimes the media will come in to preview the piece before it actually goes on stage, which will be several weeks later. We had probably about an hour and a half before the official showing and the choreographer took me aside and asked if I could speak with him in the hallway. And I was like, yes, of course. Took me into the hallway and he explained to me that I just wasn't going to be a fit for the duet that we had been working on throughout the week. And he gave me an assignment to switch out with one of the other women in the company. 
and to learn her track. And I had about an hour and a half to do so before the showing. I wasn't taken out of the piece, but this huge role that we had been working on all week long was just taken at the blink of an eye. And I didn't understand why. In the moment, it hit me, but I was like, okay, I need to learn this other choreography that's on stage less than half of the time. And, you know, all of those kind of shallow surface things that you get wrapped up in. But I was like, I just need to learn it. The showing is today. I learned it and I said, you know, maybe I just need to know both of these roles and trying to stay positive. Maybe I'll get to still perform the duet. You know, we'll see what happens in rehearsals coming forward. Rehearsals came forward and I never got to even revisit that duet. And I watched in rehearsal every time that section came up and I saw another person in that and I could feel everything that was being done, you know, because I I had danced it. When I tell you that just was a blow to my confidence because I didn't understand why. I had put in the work. I was growing. I was finding new things within the art. And, you know, a rehearsal week goes by really quickly, but I just didn't understand why. I sat in a dark space mentally for a few months to come, if I'm being honest. I eventually started to shift when I saw other opportunities being presented that I wasn't expecting in works, performing works that were, that felt more like me. It didn't feel like I was having to prove anything to anyone. I didn't feel flustered or unworthy. I felt like certain roles were made for me. I didn't realize that that wasn't the first opportunity. The first opportunity, I was just excited. I was working with this person and that person and the spotlight was on me and I got wrapped up in that. And I, in those moments, I didn't realize this doesn't feel as good as it would if you were to create it yourself or if if it were a role that was truly built for you. And it took time to sit in that dark space to even be able to realize there are things out there that are better than what you thought was going to be it for you if that makes sense. How do you get over that disappointment? I think it's important to look at the bigger picture or recognize there is a bigger picture and come to terms with the fact that everything happens for a reason. Even if it seems like disappointment, there is some kind of lesson in that or there is a series of feelings that you're supposed to learn from, even if the overall hovering disappointment doesn't feel good. Tell me the story of your first audition. For the company? For your first big audition that you went through, or the one that you first you really wanted. Okay. My first audition that I was most excited about was the second time that I auditioned for the company. I was already in the second company, which is kind of like the apprentice performance group. I set out my leotard and tights that I wanted to wear. I knew exactly what my makeup was going to look like for the day. I warmed up probably for like two and a half hours before the audition even started. And I was talking to myself in the mirror, Issa Rae style, you know, like, girl, you got this. You the ish. You ready to go. You're prepared. You're going to give everything you've got. You're going to show them who you are. I got into the audition room and I still felt that way, but the voice wasn't as loud. (laughs) It became (laughs) kind of a faint whisper and I started looking around more and more. I tell you, when you don't have your blinders on, especially in competitive spaces, you will be distracted. Although I know that I gave a good audition, I know it wasn't my best. And I lost out on my best the moment I started looking around and subconsciously comparing myself to the other people in the room. 
That's a very good message to just do your best without trying to compare yourself to others. Yes. It's a lifelong <laughs> fight too. No matter how old we get, it's always a temptation to compare yourself to others. Well, that's one of the funny things about life is even when we learn the lesson, that's not always the last time we need to learn that lesson. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> You'll go through a whole nother situation for a second time and you're like, wait a minute, this feels very familiar. Haven't we already done this? Management, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so according to your bio, you lost your mother in the same two weeks as you auditioned for your dream company. What was that process like? I had my senior dance concert and then my senior performance or dance concert. And my mother was actually supposed to be there for my rites of passage and final performance. At the conclusion of the weekend of the show, I knew she wasn't going to make it on the Friday morning. She told me that she had to go into the hospital because she hadn't been feeling well. So I had found out on that Friday, but on the Monday is when I got a call and my father was living in the vicinity of my school. And we both got the call that we should make our way to Oakland where my mom was as soon as possible. I got to Oakland. I got to be with her. The situation was 20 times worse than I would have ever imagined. I lost her. She transitioned in Oakland a couple of days after I got there. And then I flew back to DC, graduated, went back to California to facilitate a memorial service for her, and then prepared to go down to Dallas for the internship that would lead into me getting into the organization, working with the second company and also teaching through their outreach program. Everything happened so fast and with my nature, I know that things happening all the time, like moving quickly through things and always having something to get done can be a distraction for me. And almost like a staying busy can be a coping mechanism. And it wasn't until the audition was over, graduation was said and done. I had brought, you know, my two big suitcases down to Dallas, whether I had a job yet or not. Everything was said and done. And I sat there and I just cried. But the beautiful thing about that hectic time and the thought that I continue to go back to is the fact that my mom was the first person that I expressed to that I was interested in dancing for Dallas Black Dance Theater. And although when I first expressed the interest, I was far away from being in the space physically and mentally to join that professional company in particular. She said, oh, you will. You will, baby, and you will shine and you will shut it down. You will make an impact on the company. You just won't perform there. Her saying that early on has always resonated with me. And it's something that I've carried with me. And it's something that has pushed me through to strive for a career that perhaps some people would not have envisioned for me. But it took a lot of time being by myself and processing that transition. I didn't feel like I lost her because I still feel like she's with me, but not having access to someone physically and being able to call her. I still I still have her name and her phone number. It's not her phone number anymore, but I still have her in my favorites on my phone. You know, several phones later, it's been eight years since she transitioned. But still, I think back on everything that she's said to me and everything that she's written. And that is my go-to keep pushing, if that makes sense. 
It does. So her encouragement of you, is that what got you into wanting to do youth mentorship? I think so. I didn't realize when I started, but I think so. I've grown up hearing different versions of what people have experienced with the mother-daughter dynamic. But I know for me, my mother has been my best friend, but she's also always been an authority figure. So I've always had the utmost respect for her. But having that respect balanced out with someone that you see as a confidant that you can trust and communicate with as a friend, I know that that relationship dynamic is rare. And I witnessed as I began teaching through outreach dance programs and working with students in an ensemble that I directed for five years, that a lot of these students, and particularly young women, don't have that dynamic with anyone, let alone with their mothers. Being able to fill that space and create that space for young people to have friendship and guidance from the same person, I think that is something that's unmatched. And I think that's something that all young people should experience because I know that it's shaped my life in an unimaginable way. What do you like most about what you do? I love reactions. (laughs) I love surprising myself with how good something can feel or how deeply I can feel something when I'm performing or when I'm sharing. I like to perform spoken word poetry as well. But I love experiencing other people's reactions. You know how when we're in conversation and someone says something that kind of triggers you or you can relate to, either your head starts nodding or you do yes or "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm," because you feel something close to what the other person is feeling. I love being able to experience that and witness it when it comes specifically to performance, when it comes to taking on other characters like acting, whether it's for theater or these commercial and for television projects, I love diving into another character that is outside of me because it requires me to strip everything that I'm already holding onto as myself and become another person. And I think that is the core of being empathetic to people. If you can separate how you already think, how you already feel, and try to even just for a second, imagine what it's like to be in the other person's skin, that is one of the most human things that we can do. And I enjoy being able to do that through the medium of performance art. So what is it like to work with you? Endless corny jokes. Endless corny jokes. I'm probably the corniest person I know. (laughs) So it's working with me is what I've been from what I've been told is pretty easy and relaxing. I value professionalism, of course, and getting the work done in a timely matter. However, I think it's always easier to get the work done when you feel comfortable with people and when you feel like you have space to be yourself. I use comic relief on a consistent basis. Working with me, there's definitely going to be some laughs in the room. You have a very eclectic, not eclectic, but a varied. You do a lot of things, basically, is what I'm getting at. (laughs) Do you have a story of one of the things that you did that really affected somebody and you felt changed the trajectory in their life? Mm. I guess it it wasn't a one-time event, but I have mentored some of my students that I had the opportunity and joy of working with through the junior performing ensemble that I directed. And I know that Miss Kaya was goofy and always with different ideas. That's what my students would say about me. I also 
especially coming in out of college, I brought in a lot of several elements of research and presentation to the table when it came to the way I was training my students. My dancers in the ensemble that I was directing, they were expected to write papers and they were expected to stand up and present their ideas or their findings or their review of different performances they'd seen or the processes that they went through to work with these choreographers that were working with them. Several years later, a lot of my students are graduating from high school soon, if not already. I have several of my students that I started working with when I first moved to Dallas that are now in college. And I have a few that actually chose to go to my alma mater, Howard University, and they've shared that it's because Miss Kaya went there and they saw how I was working in the dance company as a professional dancer. And then also pairing that with the Miss Kaya they knew as their teacher. They thought it was popping and they wanted to follow those footsteps and get as much out of their own experience based on what they witnessed within me. I would never take the credit for completely changing someone's trajectory, but I definitely know that I've influenced feels good to make an impact in someone's life, doesn't it? It does. So we are coming to the end of our time together. And one thing I like to ask my guests is do a minute of motivation. You can imagine this as if you have a time machine and you're going back to your eight-year-old self. You want to convey everything you need to live a happy, joy-filled life. But unfortunately, you only have a minute until you're taken back into the future. Or you can think of it as taking your entire life's message and condensing it down to a minute. So are you ready? Yes. Let's go. You do not have to have every detail figured out regarding your dream move to make it happen. Fear of it being too late or taking too much time or not having enough preparation, it's not an excuse. God willing, the time will pass anyways. So whatever it is that you think about more than three times a day, whatever it is that you see other people doing and you know that you could fill that space, start right now. You can spend your whole life contributing to someone else's dream. And while your presence will be valuable, it won't last as long as it would or be as impactful as if you were carrying it out yourself. Your legacy is something that can only be shaped by you. What are you going to leave behind? Start today. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really enjoyed listening to your story. I mean, number one, learning about a world that honestly I know nothing about, which is dance, but also listening to how you keep on going on and dealing with the judgment that it takes to be a good dancer and not letting that consume you and dealing with that story of disappointment and being able to go past that is always nice to hear. And I also appreciate the fact that you've learned how to do this and you push forward and you had so much encouragement growing up and that you then take that encouragement and help the youth of today in their lives and fulfilling a role that some people didn't have. So you're giving back in a way that I believe is special and sharing the world through your dance is, I think, awesome. So thank you so much for everything you do in this world. And thank you for being on my podcast. Of course. Thank you again so much for having me. (laughs) May your day be special. Yours too. And there you have it, folks. That was my interview with Kaya Alexander. That was fun. I never talked to a dancer before. One, One fun thing about doing this podcast is learning about people and learning about things I didn't know about. So talking to somebody who's in that competitive world of dance. As I mentioned, I used to watch So You Think You Can Dance. My roommate at the time, his name was Gideon. He was really into West Coast Swing. 
completely different than East Coast Wing. East Coast Wing is the thing you used to see in those old Navy commercials. If you're oldish, like me, with people jumping and a lot of like old school type dancing and very popping, it was very kind of popular in the late 90s. West Coast Swing is a lot more smooth, and one of his West Coast Swingers, people he used to compete with, was on So You Think You Can Dance, and I watched So You Think You Can Dance, and in fact, I even saw one season live. They were touring in Seattle, and it was super fun to watch their live recording. I mean, the only negative was it was their last one, so there was so much goofing off, and I would like to see less goofing off as a fan, but for the most part, it was fun. Super fun to watch them perform live after following through the entire season. And it's amazing how dance can make you feel emotions. I mean, that's what art's really good at. The ability to make feel emotions. And as somebody who's emotionally dead for a long time in his life. And when I was watching So You Think You Can Dance, I was just starting to explore what I meant to feel. And I still remember some of those dances, like No Air, of course, was a big one. And the one about the ballet, with the ballet dancer, about having cancer. And that one was just like, wow. Just seeing that. And I used to almost be one of those people who would laugh at jokes on TV about contemporary dance. But we actually see contemporary dance and the art form about it, it was magical. And so I have a lot of respect for dancers. I think it's one of our failings in the United States. We do not appreciate our artists enough because art's amazing. And it allows us to feel emotion and process and make sense of the world in a different way. We are not just logical beings, we're emotional beings. And art such as dance really enhances our ability to understand and feel emotions. If you're interested in Kaya, she does have a way for you to get in touch with her. She can be found on Instagram at Kaya Alexandra or on her website, KayaAlexandra.com. I will put a link in the show notes. She offers ongoing classes, updates on virtual performances, and choreographed productions online and is currently available for future performance bookings later in 2020. And there you have it, folks. That is episode 78 of the Joyous Expansion Podcast. 70 is always a number I enjoy because that's the year I was born, even though as it's getting farther and farther from that, it's not as fun to say. I mean, when you're a kid growing up and you're 8, 78 is cool because that was only 8 years ago, and each time you get older, you're like, yay, I'm getting older, I'm becoming an adult, and then you become an adult. It's like, well, crap. That was not as fun as I hoped. I wish I could go back playing with my G.I. Joes and not worrying about rent. Anyways, thank you for listening to my 78th episode. I love you for who you are. If you want to email me for any reasons, you can email me at bre2tsdpr2es at joyousexpansion.com. You can check out more episodes at pod.joyousexpansion.com. If you like this, like, subscribe, share, all those wonderful things. If you do that, I love you forever. Just kidding. I love you forever no matter what because you listened this far. You can also find me at joyousexpansion.com. And if you also on Instagram at joyousexpansion, Twitter at joyousexpansion, and LinkedIn at joyousexpansion, and Facebook at increase your joy because my SEO game is terrible. Once again, I'm Bridget Pree, your champion of the authentic joy, catalyst of transformation for the Church of Awesome and Joyous Expansion Life Coach, wishing you once again to be love, to be joy, to be awesome. Now play that jingle. Joyousexpansion.com
joyousexpansion.com. Come and say hello to Brett Dupree. He is an inspirational life coach. Good for you and good for me. He turned my life from grey to blue. I'm sure he'll do the same for you. Get in touch and you'll see your life will change dramatically. Joyousexpansion.com. Joyousexpansion.com. Yeah.